morning. The scripture for today is from John 17, verses 20 through 23. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May the experience, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks a lot. Good morning. Can you hear me? There we go. Good morning. It is good to be with you. Um, how do you know if you really believe something is true? Is it because you say you believe it? Or is it because you are gripped with the reality to the point that it changes you? You know, belief is something that we talk about a lot within the church. But how do we respond to it? When I was in high school, I was part of a, a class called JROTC. Um, it was an army program for high schoolers, and uh, it's uh, very similar to what college ROTC is, but just at the high school level. And this is me right here, Smiley Esteban, being very, very serious. And this is me my freshman year. Um, I remembered loving ROTC. Uh, we would, uh, every uh, Wednesday, we would uh, suit up and we would wear our uniforms. Um, I actually started taking ROTC because I knew that it was uh, a replacement for PE. Uh, and so I ended up taking ROTC for that, that, that very reason. But a friend uh, had me come into ROTC and just absolutely loved it. I got involved in marching. I got involved in armed drill team. I got involved in color guard. I did parades. I did uh, military competitions um, all over California. I was really, really good at it. Actually, by the time I ended up my senior year, I was a battalion commander, which is the highest rank within uh, high school ROTC programs. I loved it. It was so, so good. One thing that I didn't enjoy was boot camp. Um, every summer, we would go to a boot camp out um, in San Luis Obispo. There was an Army Reserve uh, uh, base there, and we would stay for a couple weeks at a boot camp for our JROTC. And I, you know, they'd wake us up early in the morning, we would do PT, we'd do so many different things, uh, we would uh, eat some great meals, and, uh, and just have some, some times of just, uh, just doing different exercises. But one of the things I feared the most was repelling. Uh, if you don't know this about me, I have a crazy fear of heights. I do not like to be uh, in, in high places. My wife is fairly certain that if I were to, if, you know, if, if I were to, to, okay, if I were to die uh, from like, you know, falling off a cliff, uh, that I would make probably the highest pitched scream you would ever hear in your entire life. Um, people have, have made fun of this high pitched scream. Ah! It's that scream that I make. Um, you know, it happens. It happens when I get scared. If I'm in a car and someone's, you know, something's swerving, ah, that's exactly what happens. 
uh, Shereen had talked to me about even like, she's like, maybe you could put a little recording at your tombstone and just play it every time. This was the last sound that Esteban made. And so all that to say is when we were in our, in our uh, JRTC boot camp, uh, they told us that we were going to do repelling. It's, I mean, really, really high. And it's not even off of a wall. It was off of a cliff. Uh, there was three lines of repellers that were going down. And I remember being uh, the first, uh, in the gr- first group of three going up this cliff. And I remember looking down and just saying, nope, not going to do it. Why did I skip out on PE? Um, you know, I, I, why am I here in this, at this point in my life where I'm getting ready to repel off this cliff? And several people... Um, who had gone the other two lines, had just made their way down, and there was just me, just looking down, just not, not feeling it, not doing it. Uh, at the end, uh, on the, at the very bottom of the cliff, was my best friend at the time, Nick. And Nick was in, in ROTC, and he was the one who was going to secure the rope for me as I went down. And I remember talking to Nick down from the, the cliff, and I was like, hey, do you got this rope? And he's like, yeah, I got it. And I was like, you can come down now. And it was like 10 minutes. And he's like, hey, do you got the rope? And like, it was just this back and forth, just being so scared of going down. And I remember him finally coming to a point where he said, hey, Esteban, do you believe I got the rope? And I said, yes. And he's like, well, if you believe that, you'd be coming down already. And I remember listening to that and being so convicted that I'm like, okay, this guy obviously cares for me. He's going to hold this rope. And I remember going down, and I had to turn around. You have to do this, this L shape as you're going down, holding on to the rope. And I take my first jump, and I made that sound. The ah sound. As a freshman in high school, it is uh, something to make fun of. Um, and I remember going down, and every single time as I made it down, I continually asked him, hey, do you have the rope? And he says, I got it. Believe me. Believe me. You know, as we've been diving into this passage of oneness in John 17, one of the other things that, we, that this passage mentions, other than oneness, other than unity, is the theme of belief. The theme of believing. As we examine this prayer that Jesus has prayed for his disciples, and also for us, because the passage also says, and all of those who will believe in their message. That includes us. And it it goes beyond the, the room that Jesus was praying for. It goes to each and every one of us who have come to understand and believe in Jesus Christ. And I find this so fascinating because this idea of being united with Christ and being united with each other has a purpose. The purpose is, the reason is, so that the world will believe in God. Actually, the author of the book of John actually says that in his purpose. He says, I write these things that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. That through believing, life would emerge. Something different would happen. That belief actually does something in our life. That belief is far beyond what we say or what we think, but it's about how we respond. The way that I responded to Nick 
in the ways that he said, do you believe me? And I said, yes, I do, finally. And I went down. You know, the word believe actually is used in John quite a bit. Uh, But John never uses it as a noun. Actually, he always uses it as a verb. This verb believe or believe in uh, is used about 241 times in the New Testament and 98 times in the book of John alone. And it's always about believing in Jesus, putting our trust in Jesus, putting our faith in Jesus. It requires some type of response. What does it truly mean for us to believe in this idea that we are one with Christ, this belief that we can be one with Christ? What does that mean for you? How do you believe that? If we say we believe in Christ, just like Paul says, we have been baptized into Christ and we've been clothed in Christ. Or in other words, he also says that we've been crucified with Christ, that we no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That belief in being one with Christ really is a response to what we believe in God. That we will die to our old selves and emerge in new life in Christ. Oneness with Christ is more than just drawing near or drawing closer to Christ, but it's becoming more like Christ, responding to that belief. At the beginning of the year, I told you a Spanish phrase, dime con quien andas y te diré quien eres, which is translated, tell me who, are you, who you are with and I will tell you who you are. And as we draw near to Christ, we are constantly transformed. As we are with Christ, we are transformed more and more in his image and in his likeness. What if we can truly believe that we can become more like Christ? What would happen if we allowed the truth to capture our imagination in ways that radically transform who we are? My son Caleb, I've been noticing, has becoming, uh, he's becoming a little mini-me. Um, this kid spends a lot of time with me. Actually, this morning he woke me up at four just to hug me, right? Uh, he loves spending time with me. That, this little guy is, is just so great. Um, and I've noticed uh, when he was first born, uh, a lot of people told me right off the bat, he's like, he doesn't look like you. Well, he doesn't. He looks more like your wife. He looks like a zomini. He looks like, like, like his Persian side of the family. And, you know, I was like, okay, that's fine. He, he, he's, he's my son. It's fine. He doesn't have to look like me. But I remember uh, once we started, like, really bonding, uh, you know, there, was, there were these moments where I really felt like he was really trying to do and take on my characteristics, particularly my smile. Um, he would look at me and he would, I, I, would, I would hold him and he would look at me. He'd try to do the smile a little bit and you could see him like kind of like, like open his eyes just a little bit. And, but I'm a squinty smiler, okay? You guys have seen my smile. It's, it's very squinty. And he just couldn't get the, 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 the whole idea of how to squint and how to smile. 
But I remember that as, as we continued to just do life together, um, he started taking on my mannerisms. Actually, he loved, you know, as he's been growing older, he's been wanting to, like, dress like me. And so we, we both have these type of, like, old school vans now. You know, he wants to do the things that I want to do. He wants to be more and more like me. And now he has mastered my smile. He's got it down. You know, after four years, his natural smile is the smile of daddy. And it wasn't his, his, you know, at the beginning wasn't his natural smile. But as time and time continue to pass, as we continued to draw closer to each other, he began to take on the characteristics of me. So much so that as we walk down the road, people actually say, hey, he's a little mini Esteban. Even though he looks more like my wife's family, he has taken on the characteristics so much that he reflects who I am as his dad. You know, I believe this is what happens when we truly believe of how we can be more and more like Christ. That when we talk about oneness with Christ, that it really means more of us dying to ourselves and allowing the life of Christ to emerge in our life. It is us putting aside who we are, our brokenness, our old ways of living, the the ways that we want to live in selfishness and in greed and put those to death in order that new life and resurrected life can emerge in our lives, that we can truly reflect who Christ is. What if we could be more like Jesus, the one who became flesh and made his dwelling among us? We talked about that, that at the beginning of John, it says that Jesus became flesh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. What if we could be more like that, the ones who enter into the brokenness of life in order to reflect the light of God. What can, how, can, how can we be more like the servant that Jesus was, the one who got down on his knees and washed dirty feet, the one who refused to always be on the top and be the master, but decided to bend down and be the servant? What if we can be more and more like that? The one who gave up his life for the sake of others. The one who truly gave out of his own being and gave it all up out of love. What can we be? How can we be more like that? This passage tells us that if we could be more like Christ, if we can be one with Christ, that is a reflection of who his love, what his love is and that the world would believe in that that the world would believe in God if we are people who are more like Christ. But on the flip side, if we don't reflect Christ, the world will not believe. If anything, the world would be skeptical. Uh, Brennan Manning has this famous quote that he says, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world for today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their own lips and walk out the door denying him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds so unbelievable. 
When we don't live into this life, when we reflect ourselves, the world will not believe. Even though we confess with our lips and understand with our minds that we follow Christ, if we don't actually respond and live into it, how will the world believe? How will the world understand that there's a God who loves them? Belief requires action. John used it always as a verb. It requires understanding that we do not live our lives anymore. But when we live out our belief in Christ, we know that we not only uh, live out these transformed lives, but also that we are able to uh, live in ways that transform the lives of others around us as well. You know, uh, this past Thursday, we celebrated in the church uh, a day called uh, All Saints Day, November 1st. And uh, this caused me to really reflect um, on the people uh, who have what we think of as the great cloud of witnesses. Those saints who are well-known, you know, I think about those who are in the Bible, those who, are, uh, who, who have been recorded in history as those who really uh, lived out their faith, lived out their belief in Christ, truly reflected who Christ was and continued in his mission. But I also thought of the lesser-known saints in the church. I want to tell you a story about a lesser-known saint. Her name is Maria Alanis. Uh, people in her community know, know her as Mary. And Mary uh, lived in a poor neighborhood in the Los Angeles area. Um, she went to church every day. She was one of those uh, uh, older ladies who just got so dressed up for church, would wear a hat and wear gloves. Um, she loved God. She loved people with her whole heart. She loved to serve. She had, this she had this amazing gift of hospitality, a genuine love for other people. Mary had a neighbor named Angela. And Angela was a uh, single mother. Uh, her daughter was uh, very young. Angela was an amputee had to get around in a wheelchair. Uh, a lot of fam she had family in the area, but no one actually really came and assisted her and helped her. So she relied on this little girl to help her out, to help her get out of bed, to feed her, to take care of her. And so Mary, uh, taking notice of her neighbor, would come over and um, just care for her as well, would care for her daughter, as well. And they developed this friendship. Years after, Angela uh, tragically died. She passed away, leaving this little girl an orphan. Uh, this little girl was 13 at the time. No one in her biological family wanted to take her in. And so this little girl ended up in foster care. She ended up in different places, um, in uh, children's homes and orphanages and different places. She was kind of hopped around in just different spots. And Mary 
with this, just this deep love for this family, this deep love for Angela and her daughter, um, decided she wanted to do something about it. She wanted to enter in into this life and, and just do something. So Mary had a daughter who was a social worker and said, hey, what can I do to help out this little girl who's been left orphaned? And so the possibility of adoption came up. And so Mary uh, did all she could. She went through all the paperwork and everything to, to try to make sure that she was able to, to help out this little girl. And uh, finally it happened where she was able to bring this little girl into her home. And she raised her as her own. She prayed with her every day. As this, I mean, not a lot of people will take in 13-year-olds. Take in 13-year-olds who are broken, who ha- have had so much trauma, but Mary did. And Mary prayed for her. And as this little girl continued to grow up, she finally met a, a guy who came over from Mexico, a Mexican migrant. And they started dating. And Mary was pouring into her life and saying, you know what, I want to make sure that you marry the, the right guy. I want you to both be able to have, your, uh, have faith in Christ. I want you to believe in, in God. And so she would take them to church and she would disciple them and she would walk with them closely. And they finally got married. And they did come to know and did come to faith in Christ because of all that Mary did for them. The ways that she poured into their lives. This girl and this guy who came from Mexico and they got married, they're now pastors in Los Angeles. And their son is the chaplain of Point Loma Nazarene University. And I have to tell you that when I think back about what Mary did, Mary lived into and stepped into what it meant to be Christ-like. She was reminded that the word became flesh and dwelled among us, that the word that, that Jesus actually attached himself to flesh in order to make something different and make something new in our lives. And she lived into that same type of purpose where she entered into the messiness of this little girl's life, of my mom's life. She entered into it in order to show a radical and transforming love. I wonder how my life would be different if Mary didn't step in. I wonder how my life and how our lives would have been if Mary didn't lean into this life of being like Christ. People believed in the message because she stepped into the life of Jesus. We now believe in Christ because of Mary. Because God used Mary, through God's spirit, God used Mary to bring us to faith. I wonder this morning, what if we truly believed that we could be more like Christ? That it, wasn't just, it wouldn't be just head knowledge. It wouldn't be something that we profess or that we say. But what if we truly believed that Christ is in us, 
that the power of Christ can move through us, that we can be one with Christ in ways that radically transform the world so that the world would believe in God. What if we believed? What if we lived into? What if we put that belief into action? My prayer for us today is that we can be people who step into and live out the life of Christ. And it may sound very simple, but it requires us to lay down our lives. It requires the spirit to transform who we are. It, it, it requires that we die to ourselves in order that new life will emerge and so that people may see Christ in us so that the world would believe in the message that we proclaim. Today we have an opportunity to come to the altar and pray. Uh, as a custom on Wednesdays, we open up this time and campus pastors are here to pray with you. But this morning, as you hear this challenge of what it means to become one with Christ, to become more like Christ, to take on the characteristics of Christ, I'd ask you to come. If there's anything that's in your life, whether it's sickness, I'm actually feeling sick right now. If you need prayer, uh, the altars are here. The, prayers, the, the, the altars are a place where uh, have always symbolized a meeting place between God and humanity. And so if you have any need, we'd love to pray for you. Let me go ahead and pray for you. Spare heads. God, we thank you. We thank you for your love and for your grace in our lives. We pray, Lord, that we may be people who truly believe in you. That we can put our trust and our faith in you. That we may be able to give up our lives in order that you may live in and through us. That we could be people who truly live out the life of Christ so that others may believe in you as well. As they see this life, this witness, this reflection of who you are, that they may be curious and their imaginations and their hearts may be opened to the ways that you can work in their lives as well. And so we pray that you be with us, that you embolden us, that you give us of your spirit, that we could be people who truly reflect you in our world. We love you, Lord, so much. Help us to be people who uh, truly see the people around us and to be Christ for others. Help us to be the hands and feet of Christ as we leave this, leave this place. We love you, Lord, so much, and we lift our lives to you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. You're dismissed. Go in peace.